The planet is heating up. The oceans are becoming filled with plastic. Change starts now. Change starts now. We're on a countdown. To zero waste. Five, four, three, two, one. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast. Here's your host, Laura Nash. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. This episode is the seventh in the Sustainable Brands 2019 Detroit series. If you're striving to live a zero-waste lifestyle like me, you might wonder about the garbage produced upstream when you buy something. So, for example, if you find tomatoes without packaging at your local grocery store, do you know what kind of container those tomatoes arrived in at the store? Suzanne Lindsay Walker is the Director of Sustainability for North America at Brambles Chep, a company that provides over 590 million pallets, crates, and containers, but the company specializes in the sharing and reuse of those containers while taking part in a few other sustainable initiatives too. So here's Suzanne Lindsay Walker from Brambles Chep. So yeah, Brambles Chep, we are actually the world's largest pooled pallet provider. Um, and so basically reusable packaging, pallets, crates, and containers. And we have over 300 million of them circulating the world supply chains to help deliver goods. In fact, we deliver more goods to more people than anyone on the planet. Oh, really? Wow. Uh, yeah. I see that you talk about like the dual challenge of growing consumer demand yeah. and global concern for the environment. And we see this come up a lot at the, the Sustainable Brands Conference. So can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. In fact, I just heard Coan mention it again. I think it's something that uh, large companies, all companies are actually facing. So how do you help meet growing consumer demand faster, cheaper, uh, more conveniently, but at the same time, reducing the impact that you have on the environment? Um, it's a challenge. It's a huge challenge. Mm-hmm. And But I think by virtue of having these types of conferences and people come together, we're all up for the, for the task. Um, what about the Zero Waste Worlds initiative? Yeah, so um, I'm really, really excited about Zero Waste World. We're here at Sustainable Brands to officially launch it in North America. And um, it was, to give you a little bit of a history of it, it was really born out of um, some uh, purpose work that we've done as a company from the Brambles. And um, the outcome from a customer-facing side is the it's called Zero Waste World. And it's an opportunity for us to... Um, take what we're doing um, by virtue of being in the circular economy and doing more for our customers. How can we help drive more value for them? Mm-hmm. And we, in fact, we, we asked our customers, you know, what could and should this look like? We asked our employees, what could and should this look like? And um, we came up with three key challenge themes. So the first one is eliminating waste. And so in our world, that means eliminating packaging and food waste specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, the second challenge is to eradicate empty truck miles. And the third is to cut out efficiencies. So we're leveraging the data sets that we've gathered, you know, over the, the last, I would say, 10, 15 years, um, because we do have visibility. We have a really unique position in the supply chain to help our customers do more with less. Mm-hmm. You know, so we're really, those are the three key challenges that um, we're hoping to partner more and more with our customers to, to help them meet the dual challenge. 
So the empty trucks, that's like uh, just route planning better. Yeah, so we have a program called Transport Collaboration, and we've been doing this for for quite a while now. And so we're able to match up different customers um, that may be going to the same places, but coming back with empty miles, right? So it's very, very inefficient. You're burning fuel, it's cost, it's carbon. Mm -hmm. Um, And so because of our unique position, we can see all of the different movements that are happening um, as a result of 300 million pallets, crates, and containers moving around. And we're able then to overlay that onto their networks to see where the most efficient truck routes would be. Mm-hmm. And it's nice to save money too, because a lot of the problems with people trying to get out their, their new products or, or their sustainable products is that they can't really afford the shipping if it's, uh, if it's not efficient. So exactly right. How do we help? Yeah, exactly right. Be more efficient. Yeah, that's, that's really great. So, so why is CHEP an organization that's so passionate about sustainability? Like where, where did this all start? So We've always been um, a, a circular business model. So yeah. 60 years ago when we started. Yeah, 60 um, years? Wow. Yeah. So, you know, we've always been a circular business model. And so it's just been sort of inherent in, in our model and our DNA from the very, very start. Um, yeah. It's only, you know, in the last 20 years that we've been able to, what I would say is credibly quantify um, the sustainability metrics or impacts as a result of that. Um, and so... You know, we're able to give our, our customers a level of confidence in to demonstrate just by virtue of working with us and sharing and reusing um, our pallets, crates, and containers that they're reducing waste and cost in their supply chain. And we're able to do that through lifecycle analysis. Mm-hmm. Do you have competitors or people who are doing similar initiatives? We do. We have uh, several competitors, you know, across the world. Um you know, oh, are you are you just in America? Or are you no? We're, we're a global co- company, and yeah. we're in sixty countries. Oh gosh, yeah, that's yeah. Cool. So we're the biggest company no one's ever heard of. It seems like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and yeah, certainly there there's uh, competitors. I you know I will say that um, the Brambles really does embrace um, the sustainability attributes. You know, even down to the procurement of the wood for our pallets. You know. of the wood that we procure is either Forest Stewardship Council certified or under the PEFC banner. So we take a tremendous amount. Pardon? What's the banner? So the PEFC is an umbrella organization, the program for the endorsement of forest certifications. So in the U.S., that would be SFI. So sustainable uh, forestry initiative. So making sure that we're sourcing only from managed forests. Right. Mm. So you think about 300 million pallets. That's a lot of wood. It's a lot of wood. We reclaim. We know when we make, we repair. We try to reduce the amount of resources in the first place. And if we can't, when we do source new wood, it's sustainable. Mm -hmm. And no one else is doing that in our competitor set. No one else is going to the level of detail in the life cycle analysis that, that we perform at the end of life of our pallets. You know, they're either. Gosh, they could be used as mulch. They could be used as animal bedding. Sometimes we use it as feedstock to fuel biomass facilities. So it just depends on, and you all know from a zero waste perspective, sort of depends regionally where you are as yeah. to the most effective outlet, cost effective, and, and how sustainable it is. Mm-hmm. So I do. We go to great lengths to make sure that every aspect um, you know, of our business is sustainable. Is it only wood pellets that you use or do you use? 
Oh, with pallets today. Yep. Yeah. So it's really good because I used to live in BC and we had a big problem with deforestation. And so it looks like someone just took like buzz clippers, you know, like for hair and just went like across the mountains. Uh, And it's really sad. And they're still logging old growth. So we have these massive giant, like 700 year old trees and we don't really have them protected. So it's nice to see that, uh, that you are using sustainable forestry techniques and that it is a renewable resource and it's a good, it's a good way to manage forests. Um, if you do it properly. That's right. right. So, that's exactly right. Yeah. So that's really good. So um, to participate in the zero waste world, do companies have to be a CHEP customer? I think it makes more sense if you are today. Um, you know, and we work with, I, I think it's 43 of the top 50 consumer product goods companies. And so there's a lot of low hanging fruit in terms of working with existing customers. Um, we'd love to invite more into the fold. I mean, this is, uh, you know, we're looking at a very diverse set of stakeholders that are participating in this, that we're getting viewpoints and um, trying to, um, you know, gather all different perspectives to see how we might think differently so that we can um, look for creative collaborative opportunities to do more. Um, you know, I think because some of the larger CPGs and retailers. Um, we do have long-term relationships with them, so we're able to see what more we can do to help uh, reduce their impact you know, along the way. Mm-hmm. If you already have it, have it sort of set up. So the customers that are that are already um, part of Zero Waste World. So are they seeing like positive results for like financially or environmentally? Like are people? Excited that they're using this. So we we just kicked it off, but we certainly have a lot of proof points that have um, I think given you know the customers that are participating the confidence and we have you know the, the credibility that we have that we're able to um, help reduce cost in, in carbon. So the beautiful thing about our world is that um, anytime you're more efficient, you are reducing cost. And so it is critical um, that we're able to quantify both the environmental as well as the uh, financial benefits and we're able to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one thing that you kind of, I think businesses don't think about that if you switch to more sustainable packaging or more sustainable things, it might cost a lot up front, but then it will save you money over time. So something we talk about on the podcast all the time is plastic. So we're really trying to push for restaurants to stop using like plastic ramekins and plastic forks, right? Just buy quality ones and it'll cost a little bit more up front and then you won't have to buy all that plastic. In the long term, yeah. In the long term, yeah. So sometimes we forget about that sort of thing. So can you talk a little bit more about the collaboration piece of the zero waste world? Yeah, absolutely. So when we sort of contemplated what zero waste world could look like, we looked at it um, by participation in three different ways. One could be a one-on-one, um, like us with a customer. The, another way would be, you know, a multi-collaborative opportunity. And so um, a place that we could do that would be either, you know, um, like a CE 100 part of the Ella MacArthur Foundation. There's a, a willing, you know, a a group of willing folks there that are, are looking for these creative collaborative opportunities. And so we're working with the CE 100 to see how we might be able to create a, a you know, a new collaboration um, around some of the work that we're doing in zero waste world. Um, mm-hmm. It could be just, a, you know, the coalition of the willing. So, you know, maybe we have three or four folks that are interested in a particular um, opportunity. In fact, we're um, going to be at the, the TPA, um, which is a joint 
opportunity with FMI and GMA later this week. What and are so, those? <laughs> yeah, so FMI is the Food Marketing Institute, okay. and um, GMA is a Grocery Manufacturers Association. And so um, they collectively come together to form the TPA, Trading Partner Alliance. Okay. And so they um, sponsor... You know, different events. And so we are um, going this week actually into Arlington and we'll have what's called a transport collaboration um, opportunity, which is in support of our eradicating empty miles challenge as a part of Zero Waste World. So it's an opportunity for them to come together and see if there's opportunities that they could work together pre-competitively to reduce cost and carbon in their supply chains, particularly around reducing empty truck journeys. Mm-hmm. Um, so we talked about the cross collaboration and, um, it sounds like the initiative will include some, some events and open forum discussions for companies across North America and internationally. So can you expand on what that would look like? Yeah. So I think what we're, we're trying to do is, um, so for instance, tomorrow evening after we do the sort of the official launch tonight, um, our president is officially launching it. And tomorrow evening, we're having um, the first of our Zero Waste World Dialogues. And so it's an opportunity f- to have a really good group of folks that come together and try and you know, spark some interest and potential coalitions that could come out of that. And we're doing that in a series of four, four dialogues. So Detroit, Arlington, it'll be, I think it's Madrid in oh, the wow. fall, um, and a fourth one that's escaping me at the moment. But it gives us an opportunity, being a global company, to evaluate you know, potential opportunities across the globe um, with like-minded folks you know, that really do want to um, collaborate in different ways to drive sustainability in the supply chain. It's, I mean, it's really, really exciting for us because um, that's where people are going. You know, they're, they're working really, really hard on their products, but we all know that scope three is the, the biggest opportunity in supply chain. And we're so ready to, to be there and to help our customers do that. You know, what's scope three? Scope three is, is everything that's outside of their control. So scope one oh. and scope two would be their own operations, their own electric consumption. Scope three is everything else. So that's where the majority of the impact is. And we are ready, willing, and able to help our customers tackle that. Mm -hmm. So is zero waste one of the the most pressing sustainability concerns or is that carbon or? We are looking at it from both, you know, zero waste from a a carbon reduction and from a a waste reduction strategy. And so where we have sort of a unique capability is really in that packaging world. So going from a very linear type model to a circular model to a limited use, you know, take, make waste to a share and reusable asset. So you're reducing waste in the supply chain and carbon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One is actually an impact of another. So exactly. And uh, can, can you tell me a little bit more about your packaging? Like what kind of materials it is and and who's making it, that sort of thing? Yeah. So um, so our pallets are, are wood, wood yeah. right? So um, again, the goal is to have 100% certified sustainable wood. Um, we're at 99.4. And our, our PCs, we just literally sold the U.S. market of, of IFCO, which was our reusable plastic container. So if you think about... What's PC? Our PCs, reusable our PC. package... Sorry, reusable uh, plastic containers. So if you go into like a Kroger or a Walmart, they all use the black crates in the produce section. So that was the IFCO reusable plastic um, plastic containers. Okay, those get they start way early in the supply chain yeah. at the grower, 
they put the bananas or the perishable food in there and it goes through the supply chain. So it eliminates touches. It eliminates, um, actually reduces shrink in the supply chain. Um, and then it actually gets uh, presented and merchandised in the stores with mm-hmm. the RPCs. Okay. So we now actually have operations in Australia and in South Africa for the RPC business. So they're made out of, um, you know, like a, an HDPE, high-density polyethylene um, type material, right, which is highly recyclable, mm-hmm. right? So at the end of a usable life of an RPC, you can regrind it and use it to make more RPCs. The containers, similarly, are, um, again, a very... I'm not sure exactly of the the type of material, but they're rigid plastics that, again, can be reground um, and used to make more. So it absolutely is a circular system. Mm -hmm. That's really good. And we were talking about black plastic uh, before because it's difficult to recycle. So if you are sort of in charge of that and can keep recycling it, that's great. But I think that they would probably last a long time too. So does it they ever, do, yeah. does it go back from the grocery store back to the yes, producer? Absolutely. Okay, that's good. what makes it a closed loop. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then you have a solution when it breaks or cracks. Do you take care of that or is that, is that another uh, aspect of it? So there are repair um, operations that would right. it would come back to our service center first. We make Good. sure that it gets cleaned and repaired if need be. That it's up to a you know performance spec that's required, mm-hmm. um, and then would go back down to the grower, wherever they are. They get you know collapsed down, and then set back, and then it goes through the supply chain again, and it keeps going through that same system, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And if it's not broken, does it get washed on the way back? Yes. There's like a, a little stop. There's a wash facility in, in our service centers. Absolutely. For sanitation purposes with food. Great. Very cool. Yeah. I wonder if there'd be any solution that you could do with berries because I try to avoid single use plastic, but I love berries <laughs> and we can only find them near Toronto in like those plastic like clamshell containers. But berries are so difficult to transport because they'll just mush, right? If you don't have anything. So... I would assume that maybe you would take those big black containers that you're and talking we would, about. Actually, they do use them. So for the smaller ones, um, there would be multiple packages of those in our RPC crates. Yeah. yeah, yeah, because you can't just put them just the berries in those crates because exactly. they would just get smushed, right? But like bananas, you could, I guess. Yes, you can. Yeah. yeah. And how can organizations help address sustainability? So we talked a little bit about what sustainability looks like, but... Um, what do you hope to see from other organizations that you work with? So I think we're, you know, most companies, most public companies um, are on this journey at some point. And I think it's, you know, my job and our company's job to meet them where they're at. Um, I think very simply, you know, the, the first introduction is that just by virtue of working with Bramble's Chep, they are part of the circular economy. And so, you know, and that was really the aha moment for me, I, I worked for a large uh, grocer for about five years and we used the, the containers, we used the crates and the pallets. And it was the first credible circular economy story that I was able to tell because of Bramble's Chep using you know, the life cycle analysis, it could tell me the metrics. So Mm -hmm. I had absolute confidence in, in putting that out publicly. So first and foremost, just by virtue of doing business with us, you're sharing and reusing, you're a part of the circular economy. Mm -hmm. Next level stuff is, you know, take a look at your transport miles. Like, you know, we have um, an incredible amount of data and insights um, across the supply chain. So, you know, most of the time we can help them. 
um, to reduce cost and carbon in their supply chain. Um, and then also with the, the introduction of uh, BXB Digital, our startup company, we're able to leverage those insights um, to, to do more to cut out inefficiencies in their, their supply chain as well. So there's a tremendous, yeah, Bramble's digital startup. So that's, um, remember all those different data points I was talking about, 300 million that are being shared and reused over and over and over again? Well, that has collected into this massive um, database that we call BRICS. And then we're able to then generate insights from that massive um, Mm -hmm. BRICS data insights and create products for them. So we're able to um, help our customers illuminate the supply chain. So, you know, where is my stuff in, in the world? We can tell you that. Um, you know, what's the unique experience that it's having in the supply chain? So if you're, you know, a food manufacturer, wouldn't it be interesting to know um, if it's out of temp? We've got real and near real-time um, IoT capabilities that are enabling customers to do that. What's IoT? Internet of Things. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. Making sure we get all the uh, acronyms <laughs> said way out. <laughs> it's funny when you're so into something know, that you forget. And, that. <laughs> I know, and I'm such a nerd and so into it that I can, awesome. I can geek out forever on this stuff. You're probably into data, too, it sounds like, because data is huge. Like, you can do so many things with data, and it's, like, kind of a nerdy thing to do. I find, like, when you're really, like, delving into things and doing searches and trying to come up with solutions, it's a very, very, like, hot job and hot topic right now. Right. It is. And and that's what's fun about it, right? Is you can create new solution sets based on findings. This data. Yeah. And yeah, findings. Like real findings. Exactly right. Yeah. And yeah. they're very concrete. Like you can say, okay, look at this data. Let's do this. And then people are like, okay, let's be more sustainable because of the data, right? right? It's great. Yeah. So, so you said you worked in the sustainability field for a long time, right? Mm-hmm. And so you're very happy here because it's a closed loop. So that's very, very cool and very fun. Are there other things that you do in your personal life to be sustainable? Growing up in Ann Arbor, Michigan makes it really easy for, for you to, to sort of live a sustainable lifestyle. So, really? um, yeah, and I think I, I care, I've carried that with me. To me, they're personal values. You know, they're things that I do on a day-to-day basis. You know, um, I... I have a hybrid. I Ooh, which one? do. I have a, a Lexus um, oh, C200, nice. and you know I'm the nerd that tries to beat the 40 miles per gallon. You know when I'm, <laughs> I pay attention to that stuff. Um, you know, but to me, it's in my work that I find that by helping others be more sustainable in the ways that that we're good at it, I think is powerful. Um, you know, I was in the food industry for a really long time. And so I paid a lot of attention to where my food came from um, because I felt like I was a steward of our customers. You know, they want you to, to source um, whatever you're sourcing, the natural resources sustainably. Um, so I was, a, you know, a very a conscious consumer, I guess you could say as well. Um, you know, and I guess I've been doing this gosh, coming up on 15 years now. And it's just sort of been a part of my DNA growing up as well. So what is it about Ann Arbor that is like sustainable? Is it because it's more of a rural town? I don't know. College. Been... Oh, it's a very liberal college town. It makes oh, it yeah. easy to, you know, recycle and, oh, good. and participate. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Yeah. I grew up in a rural area, so we are very like everything goes in the recycling. You know, this goes in the garbage, this goes in the compost. And 
you know, mom will yell at you if you like put it in the wrong area. So you just learn to put <laughs> well, it. Well, it's funny because I, my eight-year-old is the one that tells me that you know, like, mommy, no, this is recyclable. Put this oh, in the recycle bin. And I'm like, you're absolutely right. Oh, good. <laughs> you're absolutely right. Oh, that's really good. I have an eight-year-old too, and uh, they he's he's like the environmental kid at school, and he notices. Like, you don't think he sees other kids doing it as much. So um, they must be doing something right at your school, your kid's school. <laughs> they <laughs> do. I think I feel like they're teaching more kids, you know, the importance, um, of natural resources and they do a lot of different, um, field trips. So we're down in Atlanta now, I think, oh. which is fantastic, you know, cause they're at a younger age, more aware, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Sustainability is not going to go away. It's just going to grow and grow and be more part of uh, a business's mandate. So I think that this is just kind of the beginning. And, and like you said, your company's been operating so long and we just talked to HP and they've been doing a sustainable program for 15 years, right? So there are, are people who have been doing it for a while. Patagonia is a good example yeah. too, but I think it's, you're either going to have to get on the train or like step off pretty much. Totally way. agree. And you're absolutely right. I've seen it just explode, you know, over the, the tenure that I've been here. So um, I see it growing, growing, growing and um, thrilled that, you know, I get to be a part of a company that it inherently sustainable, you know, so we are a circular business model. And so I, again, I get excited about that. I get excited about creating more sustainable supply chains. Mm-hmm. What is, what did you do before you had a job in sustainability? Did you get like an environmental degree or? Yes, yeah, so I was, I was actually a civil engineer oh, good. Um, cool. in the Ann Arbor area. Nice. And um, I built retail stores. So I, um, you know, designed sites for big box and small box retailers. And oh, so wow. that was sort of my journey into the retail side of things. Um, I moved out to Phoenix and joined a, a large pet specialty um, retailer out there and then had the opportunity to join a big box grocer, the largest traditional grocer in the U.S., and um, had the pleasure and, and honor of running their sustainability program for five years. Who's the largest grocery store? Traditional Kroger. Oh, Kroger. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and was with PetSmart prior to that. They're huge. Yeah, they're in Canada, too. Yeah. yeah. So, um, again, sort of been in this retail space for, for a long, long time and then decided to come into the supplier side of things and dive deeper into the supply chain, which has been really, really cool for me um, over the last two years. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, if you would have told me, though, you know, 15, 20 years ago that I would be doing this, I would have probably laughed out loud. You know, like, what oh, are you yeah? talking about? I'd still be doing construction plans for <laughs> for other retailers. So um, to be doing this sounds like it would have been a, a completely different path, but it's been a quite intentional and natural path for me. Mm-hmm. You know? How does it relate? Because you're, you're building and designing like the, the structure of, um, so the site transportation. Yeah. So the site and, um, so we'll, you know, try and get a big giant retail site into, um, city of Ann Arbor or any of these, uh, particularly in Michigan, you know, take it very, very seriously. So in order for you to come in and, you know, and ask to develop a 25 acre site, um, you know, you better make sure that you're doing it in an environmentally responsible way. And so that, you know, 15, 20 years ago, that was, you know, a license to operate thing, trying to get into different communities. You know, now it's what they would call sustainable site design, you know, whether it's wetland creation, conservation easements, pervious pavement, um, you know, all those different things that we do now that are usually part and parcel, but 15, 20 years ago were things that we did experimentally to get into different communities. Mm-hmm. 
you know, we're filling in a lot of landfill or not landfill, but uh, wetlands in my area. And I don't think there's too much regulation. And I'm always like, no, don't do that because, you know, they're so important, right? They are very, very so, important. And, and that's, um, I think, again, has grown over time, particularly in the U.S., that more and more you know, counties and municipalities and states are saying, no, like you need to pay attention to this and, and do it right. You know, and I know that um, when I was helping you know, some of these larger big box retailers, you know, they were quite serious about it and, and started to really invest in, in the, the wetland conservation, the stormwater management aspects of it, conservation, et cetera. So it's sort of been interesting to watch it over the last 15 years grow. Mm-hmm. And, and the products like, into the packaging, into their supply chains, every aspect. Mm-hmm. As, what you mentioned about the municipalities, they have a lot of say, and I feel like they have more say in America than Canada. So I actually like the political structure here of um, communities really come together and have a voice and will we'll say, you know, that this needs to be protected or that needs to be done. So um, I like that. But I wanted to ask you about the, the engineering because a lot of our listeners are millennial and women, and they are sort of at the beginning of their, their careers. And I knew some engineers from the military. I knew some from university. And uh, there there are lots of women engineers, but it's like something you don't really hear about too much. Yeah. But, but they're all out there and they're all doing wonderful things. <laughs> we and, are. We're all there. <laughs> I know. And I think it's a, a really hard career because I remember some of them in school were just so busy all the time. <laughs> like they were always working and <laughs> trying to, trying to uh, get all their work done and stuff. So it seemed uh, it seemed like a good program and you can get a good job out of being an engineer. And, and you're right, you don't have to do like you don't have to do that specific work it can lead to like you know very good things and give you a good background so i like to mentor <clears throat> elementary and middle school girls in the okay. stem programs to to show them that you know yeah there are lots of us you know in, in, in doing well mm-hmm. and so to encourage you know math and, and engineering and technology so um something i do to help give back to my community and, and volunteer and you know and it's something i'm really passionate about too like girls know, like you can, you can, and, and if you want to do it, do it. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, and this is just an absolute pleasure. So thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it so much. That was Suzanne Lindsay Walker, the director of sustainability for North America at Brambles Chep. If you like our show and want to help save the world from all this trash we're consuming, please consider donating to the Zero Waste Countdown. You can become a patron on Podbean. You can find me on Patreon. Or you can donate right on the website, zerowastecountdown.com. And if you're interested in seeing a photo of our guests, you can check us out on Instagram. That's zero underscore waste underscore countdown. And if you want to email me, it's laura at zerowastecountdown.com. Thank you for listening, everybody. Thanks to all our listeners in America, Canada, Australia, Germany, the UK, and wherever else you may be tuning in from. Together, we're going to change the world. Change starts now. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast. (laughs) 